Hi, and welcome to the 4th U Dimension podcast. My name is Ember Kelly, and I'm the Director of Religious Education at the 4th Universalist Society in the city of New York. This podcast is a production of our Religious Education Department as we look at various issues and various topics and consider their implications in the world of religion in our wider society. Our theme for this December is about thinking critically, analyzing things that we read, analyzing the world around us, analyzing the news, just how do we interact with the world in a more critical way uh, with both eyes opened and an ability to analyze things. I am joined today by Matt and Dean of the Magnificast. The Magnificast is a podcast that is dedicated to leftist politics and religious theology uh, concepts. So Matt and Dean, could you maybe, uh, for the unacquainted, tell us a little bit more about the Magnificast? Yeah, for sure. I mean, first, thanks for having us on. We appreciate it. Uh, hopefully, whatever we can say is illuminating, <laughs> but that remains to be seen. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Magnificast is a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics, um, really broadly speaking, I think. Uh, we try to do justice to all types of, um, you know, leftist politics and like strains of leftist political thought and the ways it intersects with Christianity, but we have a pretty clear bias when it comes to like Marxism and socialism. Um I think that, I mean, if I was just going to try to explain the Magnificast to people, it's just like, uh, it, it's uh, it's a show where we find examples that give, I think, permission, inspiration for thinking about politics as Christians. Um, yeah, I don't know. What else did you say, Dean? I think that's pretty much it. We, we talked to a number of different people. We talked to journalists, uh, academics, pastors, our friends. Um, we read some books every once in a while if we can't get anybody to talk to us. Uh, yeah, we do it once a week, which is pretty wild. We've been doing it for a few years now. And uh, yeah, so it's a it's a diverse sort of set of um, people that we talk to and topics that we cover, but that's the gist, Christianity and leftist politics. So the word uh, leftist, maybe for those that are unfamiliar, I know it's a, it's a word that, uh, that I'm familiar with, but I, I got to acknowledge that maybe not everybody is quite as familiar with that term being tossed around. How would you define leftist? Yeah, it's complicated, right? Um, I think in the uh, the United States political imagination, leftist means something weird. Like uh, it means you're not a conservative. It means you're a liberal or something. But that's not what we mean when we say leftist. We mean the political traditions of socialism, of anarchism, of Marxism, um, all of these types of thinking. Uh, you know, modes of political thought that uh, usually don't focus on private property as the uh, the beginning and end of politics. Yeah, and in that sense, too, um, someone like Joe Biden, for instance, might belong to the left in a very, very broad or generous sense, but in a, uh, a more specific sense, he would be uh, considered to the right of the kinds of folks that we tend to look at. So not, not to write everybody off who's a Democrat or something, but um, yeah, we're just invested in maybe a different kind of uh, political imagination. You mean to tell me that, that Trump is lying when he says that Joe Biden is a, like a socialist communist trying to to take over with his plot. Man, yeah. if he wasn't lying, uh, that'd be great. Sign me up. <laughs> I'd be very excited about that. <laughs> um, as somebody who comes from a, a Christian background, uh, the Magnificat, I like the play on words, uh, but it comes from the Magnificat, which has some very radical messages in it. Uh, if people aren't familiar, is that kind of what inspired you with that name? 
Yeah, um, the Magnificat is a uh, song that Mary sings in the book of Luke. And it is uh, a really, like you said, a very radical moment in the biblical text. Uh, there's lots of little parts in it, but the one that we always think about is she says that the rich will be sent away empty and the poor will be filled up. Uh, she says the mighty will be cast down from their thrones and the lowly will be raised up. It's this kind of inversion of all these oppressive relationships in ancient Israel. And that's the song that she sings in celebration of her, uh, her pregnancy and the birth of Jesus as her son. So it sets him up to be a, a liberating character in world history and in that particular context. And yeah, so it, it's a play on words for sure, the Magnificat, but it comes from that song is traditionally called the Magnificat in Catholic and Anglican and other kinds of traditions. Awesome, just wanna make sure you know we have all of our terms defined for listeners who may not be quite as familiar. Uh, so could you tell us both about yourselves as, as individuals and like uh, what, what things are going on in your life, but as well as how this podcast came to be like this is what are you at like I think 114 episodes when I went to go look two, most recently. 200 200 two, episodes yeah oh gosh I know wild um, huh right you know that's you know <laughs> I, I feel like it was just just yesterday that I remember you, you first talking about it starting <laughs> so uh yeah well I'll, I'll go I'll go first I guess um so uh, I'm Matt Bernico. That's the owner of this disembodied voice that you're hearing. Um, it's hard to talk about our podcast without talking about our our very sordid pasts with evangelicalism. Um, I think that is probably where the story starts for me. I was like really, as a, as a young person, was really involved in things like youth group and Bible quizzing and church camp, just all, all of the worst parts of evangelicalism for young people. Um, yeah, th those are a big part of my life. And I think that like those things... Well, like, I guess, I guess this, maybe, maybe you might not be familiar with evangelicalism yourself. Uh, I hope that you're not, but, you know, but, you know, whatever, uh, in like evangelical settings like those, um, everything ends up being filtered through kind of like a, like a sieve of being like biblical or unbiblical, right? That's how you make every single decision about your life. You know, um, everything becomes kind of like a salvation issue because of that too, right? So everything has to be okay in the Bible or not okay in the Bible. Is it a sin to like smoke or drink or premarital sex? All those things um, are either biblical or unbiblical. And I think that like this way of thinking really broke my brain in some very interesting ways. So like when I started gaining some type of political consciousness, I, you know, brought my political questions to the Bible first because like that's what evangelicalism just taught me to do, right? And um, what I found were some very interesting answers to those political questions. You know, I found things like Psalm 72, um, which says, uh, may he defend the afflicted among the people, save the children of the needy and crush the oppressor. Uh, a little bit different than what, uh, you know, maybe the politics that I was getting at church or something. And also, I, you know, I read things like the Sermon on the Mount about how the last shall be first and these types of things. So um, I, I just did what evangelicalism taught me to do. You know, I, I brought my political questions to the Bible and I think that uh, worked against the tradition of evangelicalism in some funny ways. It, so I, I imagine that like a lot of Christians go through something similar, but end up with wholly different results politically speaking. Um, so for me though, I also had like the added advantage of listening to like a lot of punk music and ska music as a teenager, which kind of gave me a, a different edge on some of the things like that. So, you know, all of these things are sort of like swirling around in my brain as a young person. And um, they all kind of forced me leftward towards uh, the idea of, of anarchism, the idea of socialism. Um, and then, you know, I went to college and read about Marx and got involved in labor and other things like that. So um, I guess that's that's me. Uh, that's how I came to be who I am. Uh, Dean, what about you? 
Yeah, uh, my story is not too dissimilar from Matt's, which is kind of one reason that we found each other cosmically somehow, uh, coincidentally or providentially or however you want to put it. Um, but I, I did grow up Roman Catholic as a kid. My parents are Catholic. I went to Catholic elementary school and I'm confirmed to the church and all that. And in high school, I had all my friends were evangelical. So I ended up becoming an evangelical and a very zealous one at that. And uh, many of the same kind of um, thought patterns, I guess, that uh, Matt followed down, I followed as well um, with a, you know, a few weird just twists by virtue of that background, but not really. Um, yeah, just to kind of keep going with Matt, what Matt was saying, one thing that we talk about sometimes on the Magnificast is evangelicalism is so weird because it is so reactionary, but, you know, oftentimes there are some left-wing evangelicals and they're great, um, good for them. But, uh, you know, we like uh, the way that it teaches you to read the Bible is in a very uncomplicated way, right? And the simple assumption is if you just read the Bible, it will tell you how to live your life and then you just do whatever it says. But the bizarre thing is most evangelicals don't do that. They say that, but they, you know, they don't read the Bible that often or that closely. So when you're like 16 years old and you're reading the entire Bible from beginning to end, you know, you come to a book like Samuel or something where ancient Israel, the Israelites are trying to decide whether or not they'll have a king and, uh, they're like, please, God, give us a king. And God keeps saying to Samuel, you really don't want this. I promise it's going to be bad for all of you. You definitely do not want a king. And they keep saying, no, do it anyway. And eventually God's like, fine, I'll give you a king. But I promise it's going to be bad, right? So like when you're a 16-year-old and you're listening to a lot of punk music, and you're like, whoa, God is an anarchist, right? And then, uh, <laughs> you know, Jesus is crucified by the state uh, in, in the gospels. So there is a real kind of um, radical pulse in the Bible, even though the Bible also has lots of other things that are a bit more unsavory, but there is this kind of radical pulse within it. So in a strange way, evangelicalism, if you, if you take it seriously, it kind of undoes itself at a certain point or self-destructs. And yeah, once that happens, you have to go looking maybe for some other ways of putting your world back together. And Marxism is one of them. Um, there's lots of other ones. Uh, you know, I came back to the Catholic Church eventually, which has this rich tradition of liberation theology that I've kind of used to find my way in the world and in my faith. So yeah, that's where I've ended up. But I think the weirdest thing about Matt and I's biographies is that strange evangelical origin <laughs> to becoming left-wing people. I can't say it's too shocking since uh, I also had the the evangelical upbringing and you know that really resonated thinking about as I, as I jumped around denominations trying to figure out where exactly I wanted to land uh, theology wise uh, you know I remember my my non-denominational evangelical mom being like why don't you just believe in Jesus you know like us or like our church and I'm like, well, you, you have very specific beliefs, you know, that like, it's the same sort of thing as what you said, that, that people say like, oh, they just read it. And um, that's what they say they do. But in reality, they have all these very complicated beliefs that you have to adhere to or else you're uh, very quickly cast out. And most of them also function around action. Definitely some, uh, some, uh, share, some shared trauma there amongst the three of us. <laughs> yeah. Um, evangelicalism it's a strange place um, <laughs> stranger um, every day <laughs> so the podcast has been going for a while as we said 200 episodes so i think it started right around 2016 right yeah i think it started right after the trump presidency i think we both had some interests in uh, leftist politics even before that um 
yeah so it kind of started as is a way well let me take a step back so like dean was saying you know we have this like shared origin story or whatever <laughs> um he and i ended up even meeting like in in an online community that was about christianity and leftist politics so we have this like sort of connection there online which is very bizarre i guess to think about um but yeah we sort of met on this like uh, message board about christianity and and we kind of like bonded over that uh that similar like similar struggles and conversations that we're having um but yeah after the after the after trump was elected in 2016 i think we kind of started knitting some of our ideas together in a more coherent way um and we just decided we were going to make a po like a podcast out of it um i don't think anything really existed like that at the time um now there are like a handful of i think podcasts sort of like ours um and uh yeah but we kind of came out of that moment of you know where everyone's sort of spiraling and didn't know what to do in 2016 so we decided to maybe give voice to some of those uh some of the stuff within christianity that we found useful to sort of navigate the uh political situation we were in yeah i'll say there were a few things that were maybe like um similar to what we were doing but they had been around for a long time like uh there was one called jesus radicals uh, oh, sure. an organization of like christian mostly anarchist types they had a podcast called the iconocast and it's still they they do episodes every once in a while still i think um they're great like they're great people um matt and i were both uh kind of formed by that too as young christian evangelical anarchists or whatever um so there was stuff like that, but yeah, like Matt was saying, I mean, it was a, a strange niche podcast to do in the middle of all these other podcasts. And there's lots of other good ones, like Faith and Capital is a great one. Um, the DSA has one called Religious Socialism, which is also very good. I don't know, there's a ton. I shouldn't start listing them because I'll, I'll leave some out. But <laughs> all that to say, uh, yeah, there, there's kind of been a, I think, a you know, a group of, of the Christian folks on the left that are slowly finding one another through all kinds of different means. And this has been our means <laughs> to do that maybe. And mm -hmm. yeah, exciting to find lots of other people interested in doing that kind of work. Yeah, definitely. I know as, as someone in 2016 who was, was radical and still very involved in, in Christianity that, you know, I, I enjoyed getting to find the Magnificast and, and discover that there was others out there with similar thoughts. So uh, which kind of relates to my, my, my next question for you, which is, uh, you know, is there kind of a community that's built up around the podcast and have you done anything to kind of foster uh, building a community and uh, encouraging connections and, uh, you know, helping, helping build the wider leftist movement? Well, I don't know if, I, if we've done anything so grand as help build the leftist movement. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> I think that, I mean, around our podcast, I, th I think there's been some kind of like organic community that's sort of grown. Um, but I think also just because of like the very DIY nature of our podcast, like, I don't know, we haven't had like a, we're, you know, we're not organizing it. We're not, we don't have like a direct, uh, a direct hand in a lot of it. It's really just like, I think a loose affiliation of people who just listen to our podcast and, you know, give us feedback about it from time to time. Um, one way I like to think about it is along the lines of a, a very a, a very like media studies term. Um, our podcast is a, a, an organ of enunciation. It's a thing that can like say, this exists. There is such a thing as uh, Christians on the left. There is such a thing as Christian socialism. There is such a thing as Christian anarchism. And uh, in just doing that part of it, I think a lot of people have sort of rallied around those ideas and um, you know come to find it as like a, like a, a resource and a, a type of language for people to use to you know speak about the beliefs that they really already had. 
Yeah, I think that's right. We never really went out looking for people, but people did kind of find us one way or the other, just by virtue of, like we said earlier, there, I think, you know, like, uh, like Matt was saying, we didn't really build the left, but like we've um, just found other people who are doing it <laughs> where they are too. And, you know, just like people, people find each other. I don't know, there's some kind of weird, uh, weird law in the universe where people do kind of get together and uh, by virtue of putting, uh, you know, speaking into the void once a week, <laughs> you have maybe more opportunities to find those people than if you didn't. But, you know, we get all kinds of really great emails from not just Christians saying, hey, it's cool that you're doing this and I've been trying to do this too. Can we talk more about it and all that kind of stuff, which has been great to meet different folks, but also lots of people on the left being like, I grew up as a religious person or a Christian person. And I felt like I needed to get out of that in order to follow these these impulses toward justice that I have. And, you know, this podcast is a way of me sort of being able to reconnect with that part of my life. So in that way, like the community has found us and we found the community in that way. But yeah, we don't like we could do a lot more like we have a Facebook group that we almost never post in. Um, we like we have a, a hand, we had like an email newsletter for like six months. You know, there's stuff that we have done. Um, but not, not much that we do proactively. We're just like too busy. And I guess we're also just lucky that a lot of people end up engaging with us without us having to bother that, that much. Yeah, let me plug really quickly too, though. There are, so, I mean, we're not building the left, but there are other people who are doing it, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like uh, there's like uh, the Religious Socialism Working Group in the DSA that I think a lot of folks are involved with. And it's definitely a good resource where it's more organized in a podcast. And there's also this thing called the Institute for Christian Socialism, which is a website and a magazine. And they're kind of starting to do more organizing work too, I think. Um, but yeah, I mean, those things exist out there. It's just not like, I don't know, not our podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, though, to be fair, like you said, um, and I think, you know, I would, I would vouch as somebody who is digging around for leftist and religious connections back in 2016, uh, that, you know, you have played that role of, of helping helping connect people that previously might have been slightly sure. more disconnected. Yeah, we definitely point the way sometimes. As a yeah. listener, I can give you I can give you a little bit of credit for, for helping me. <laughs> That's um, good. And you know, and I don't know how you do it to to have a Facebook group that you guys don't necessarily post in yourself, but somehow it still keeps getting posts because anytime I try to do that, uh, it seems to always uh, <laughs> lose some steam real quick. So so good work there. Um so, diving into the more uh, philosophical theological questions. Um, I imagine that for, for many, uh, the idea of mixing radical politics and Christianity and religion in general maybe doesn't really seem like a good mix. Like what, what would you say if somebody said that to you? I'm sure running a podcast about leftist politics and theology, people have said that to you. Um, you know, what do you, why do, why do you think it, it is a good mix? Yeah, I mean, in some ways, it, it it isn't even like a good or bad mix. It's just a mix that's always going to be there, whether people want to admit it or not. And I think that's an important piece. Uh, there are lots of assumptions, both from religious people and from, you know, people on the left that suggest that there's this kind of fundamental dichotomy between religion and especially Christianity and left-wing politics, right? You know, Karl Marx has that famous line, the opium of the people, that's what religion is. It's more complicated than people often read it as, but it is there. I mean, Karl Marx was an atheist, right? <laughs> and he wanted other people to be atheists too. So that is just true. Um, and obviously uh, the Christian churches have been one of the biggest barriers to real advancements in social justice in lots of cases, right? So it's, it's not a completely wrong perception and we're sympathetic to that. There's lots of reasons to affirm all that stuff. Uh, but at the same time, you know, 
uh, Christianity and um, leftist politics have just found each other in basically every single moment in history and every kind of uh, society. And it's, it's one of these things where uh, when there are divisions in a society, if that society is you know, permeated by a certain religious tradition, then that religion is going to appear on both sides of those divisions, no matter what, just socio sociologically or something. But more interestingly, there are some incredible, just powerful witnesses to uh, religious folks who have just found a way to express their faith commitments in the public sphere, in things like labor strikes or big marches or rallies or whatever. And, you know, we ourselves, like we were just saying a while ago, uh, have kind of found our way to the left first by virtue of uh, logic that we found within Christianity. So um, whether people like it or not, it's just always going to be there. There's always going to be people who are religious and on the left. And it's better to admit that and then try to affirm it and push it in maybe a certain direction than to deny that it's there, I think. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, but also, since we are thinking critically here, let me let me talk about this in the other direction as well. Um, people should also be very suspicious, I think, of religion and politics mixed together, right? Like it's done a lot of bad in the world. Um, there are countless examples of the way that people have, you know, taken their Christianity and infused it with all kinds of radical ideas um, that have also, you know, had really awful ends, right? Like the example. I always think of is the one that we're living through right now. The whole project of white evangelicalism is a radical movement um, for sure, right? And it hinges on really extreme ideas like heterosexism and white supremacy and misogyny and, and so on. So uh, I, I guess what I'm trying to say here is that, uh, like Dean said, there are people who um, who exist that are these like leftist Christians throughout history, even now all the time, right? And I think that we can affirm that they are real and they exist, but there's also, I think more than just like, radical Christian leftists out there that you need to be worried about. It's like the Christian right, I think, is also pretty spooky. Yeah. And, you know, religion is a moderating force in a lot of ways. And yeah. and and often most of the time, uh, especially in a, a country like the United States or, or Canada, where I live, um, you don't have to throw a stone too far to hit somebody uh, trying to stop everything in the name of religion or whatever. So yeah, <laughs> important not to overstate the importance of uh, religious folks on the left too. Yeah, which you, I mean, one of the things you were talking about uh, the dangers, uh, I couldn't help but think about, you know, literally like just a few days ago, the Supreme Court uh, siding with the quote unquote religious liberty uh, argument that, you know, churches shouldn't be getting shut down despite, you know, gathering multi-hundreds of people during the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, and that that there's been so many Christians that have been like, oh, you can't, uh, you can't take away our freedoms to meet, you know, I, I, it's, it's been really ironic for me as somebody who grew up evangelical, that all these people who in my entire life were always, church isn't about the place, church isn't about being, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's the connection that we all have together, and we're two people are gathered, and we just got to connect with each other in the spirit. And then all of a sudden, the second that somebody asked them to not meet in person, yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> suddenly, mm -hmm. wait, what are you doing? You're taking away my liberty. Um, so yeah, definitely religion can definitely be that really reactionary force too, with a, a radical reaction. Yeah, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's really interesting that you bring up that Supreme Court thing because uh, 
one way that people have talked about that is so uh, coincidentally on the same day that that ruling came down uh pope francis had an op-ed in the new york times basically saying like yes you should take the quarantine seriously and please don't go to church basically you know or being like uh don't don't be irresponsible right so the disconnect was the pope is is saying this on the one hand and like calling out the united states in not so many words and at the same time, it's basically Catholic judges on the Supreme Court who did deliver this decision in that direction. And one form of rhetoric that was going around was saying, uh, how ironic is it that um, these justices on the court are more zealous about their religion than the Pope? And I think mm. that is exactly the wrong way to frame something <laughs> like that, right? Like uh, the Pope isn't being less zealous as a Catholic and a Christian for telling people to like care about other people, right? But we tell the story where the more religious a person is, the more conservative and reactionary a person is. And I think that that is a, a really, really false narrative. And it also stops us from, you know, trying to imagine different ways of being religious that would be healthier and more productive. And, you know, it's just, it's always more complicated. So it's a, it's a great example to maybe illustrate some of the weirdness involved in that conversation. Definitely. And I think that uh, thinking about, uh, as, as somebody who's traveled to, uh, to socialist communist countries, uh, thinking about what what is the what you know in, in radical politics? What is the role of religion? If there if there uh, was radical change in our society, what does religion look like uh, after that in the United States? Uh, and obviously, I don't think it would be exactly how it is now. And I think that a lot of the ways that it interacts with politics right now is dangerous. But yeah, I think it I think it involves you know really rethinking uh, the role of of religion uh, in the broader society. Um, if, if there's going to be radical change, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to be able to just stay in the same, uh, the same way that it's existed right now. And people, people like to, to think that the way that the church operates now of, of any denominations, of any religious backgrounds, they like to think that, you know, this is how it's always been, but this is literally a very specific political moment. Uh, and I think that people just don't, aren't, aren't willing to think creatively and critically about like what the future of religion could be. Right. I think that's, I think that's a really good point, right? Like people think that, well, I mean, just like I was saying earlier, right. That there in evangelicalism, there's this idea that things are just either biblical or unbiblical in everything that you're going to think about religion or Christianity, it's going to come from the Bible. And like that, once you figure the, the answer to that question out, it's going to always be true, right? Like tradition in the, in the Bible are all like immutable things that don't change when you read them or interact with them or something. Right. So I, I think that's like a huge hurdle for people to get over in their brains. Like that's not what religion is actually like. Um, I mean, I don't want to go off path too far here, but sometimes when Dean and I talk about it, I mean, not necessarily on the podcast, maybe this is like the, uh, this is the behind the scenes discussion, but I think religion is like, you know, it's less like, uh, yeah, less like an unchanging monolith and more like a big machine that you make for yourself. And, uh, you know, you have to plug in all these different parts and uh, that'll kind of determine where you sort of go with that religion or what it does for you. And uh, I mean, I know that's that's not, I think, uh, a super heterodox answer um, because you know it it does kind of play with the idea of um, accepting and rejecting types of tradition and other spiritual practices. But I think that's um, maybe more usable than than you know thinking that there's one true Christian religion that exists for all time that uh, you know you just have to sort of grapple with. You know, there, there's a lots of different types of Christianity. Is what I'm trying to say. There's lots of different types of uh, spirituality and faithfulness. And what it looks like in any kind of given situation depends on like how you cultivate it and like what things you 
led into it, right? If you're if you're like a libertarian uh, and you're a Christian, like you're going to have a very different expression of faith than I would. Um, but it's because you've plugged in all these different things to it that I definitely wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, I mean, that's always a great metaphor that we talk about a lot, religion as a, a machine, because, um, you know, conservatives too are building it all the time. They just don't recognize that they are. Uh, Matt, Matt said it's a sort of heterodox view, but I think it's actually, um, I think we can even say more strongly that it's just a recognition of what's happening, whether you're orthodox, heterodox, heretical, whatever it might be. It's a kind of functional explanation, you know, like um, uh, the most conservative Christian person that you meet today would not recognize a medieval Catholic peasant in like, you know, rural France or something in like the the 900s. Like they would have profoundly different ways of thinking about the world and themselves and God, uh, no matter how conservative they think that they are. So it's important to recognize that these things are always changing. And so we have to sort of choose how we want to intervene rather than pretend that we shouldn't or can't or that people don't. Right. Yeah, I think that's good. <laughs> We've got the answers here. <laughs> We're figuring it all out, all in this podcast. <laughs> so like I mentioned at the beginning, and we, we've touched on a few times, uh, the theme for this month is thinking and reading critically. Um, so we've already talked about it a little bit, but what are you, some ways that you think that religion, spirituality, uh, religious communities uh, can be things that foster critical thinking uh, versus reactionary thinking? Yeah, it's a great question uh, and a difficult one too. Um, you know, I I have a lot of time for this. My doctoral advisor is a guy named Ron Kuypers who wrote a book called Critical Faith, which is kind of a double entendre because the title means on the one hand that faith can be critical, that it can have a critical edge, but also that it's critical in the sense of being very important that, uh, you know, by, by having a self-critical faith, you're not sort of betraying or abandoning your faith but you might be actually realizing its principles in a more authentic way. And I think that's a really good way of talking about it. Um, you know, I, I think too about how, for me at least, some of the most compelling Christians that give me a lot of energy and fire me up or whatever, um, they're people who find really deep resources within their faith uh, to spur them on. So maybe it's a reading of the Magnificat, like we were talking about earlier, right? Um, this is in the Christian tradition, the mother of God, singing this song about how the world is going to change and how power relations are going to change. And that's right there in the biblical text, right? Or one sort of passage we always quote is James chapter five, which is like a really wild indictment of rich people specifically. Uh, and listen, if you're upset about it, don't blame me. You got to blame the Bible. But uh, <laughs> it, it, like there is a, a verse in that text where James literally says, you know, uh, you you have to weep and wail, uh, rich people, for the destruction that's coming to you because you've held back the wages of working people and things like that. So, you know, in that sense, religion, I think, helps us read critically just because it contains these critical voices, even internal to it, you know, and uh, to participate in any kind of religious tradition, whether it's Christianity or something else, you're always sort of navigating and negotiating lots of competing voices. And I think if you can do that self-consciously, it also helps you negotiate competing voices, you know, in other parts of society as well. So it's kind of a training ground for how to think of yourself in the world and how to maybe select certain things that, that build you up and reject other things that you think are not pushing you in the right direction or something. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's also like, just like you said, right? Um, 
that uh, it's about finding those like deeper resources that like help you figure out the world. Like that's the sort of critical edge that uh, <laughs> critical edge. Uh, that's the kind of like critical idea that like Christianity um, or another like religious tradition, tradition might give you. Um, I'm always like, I don't know when it comes to, to Christianity, when it comes to sort of like reading the Bible or kind of understanding like the, the faith tradition that I'm a part of, I guess I'm always thinking about like, who, who is it telling me or like, what is the prime concern that it's like kind of giving me or thrusting onto me? Um, and I mean, for Christianity, it's always, it's always the marginalized. It's always the poor. It's always the folks who are, you know, pushed, pushed off, uh, into the, into the margins, into the edges of society. And I think that, um, that has given me a lot of sort of room to think critically about situations. Like when it comes to, um, you know, reading any given news story. It's like, well, where where are the poor in this? Where are the people who are marginalized in this story? Are they people who are getting, you know, a fair shake in the story? Or are they just kind of getting uh, ignored or whatever, right? Like, um, for, for example, like right now um, in this particular point in the hellscape that is 2020, like there are tons of evictions happening across the country. Um, cops are are battering down people's doors and dragging them into the streets if they aren't paying the rent or if they are occupying a space they're not supposed to. And like in the reporting on those stories, it it sucks. It's very bad. It's always just about like, this is what the police are doing. And like, I don't know, this is what the police told us about what they're doing, you know, that they had to do this kind of thing because they didn't uh, they didn't pay their rent or they did this or that, or, you know, they don't have a, a legal entitlement to the space, you know, like the, the news will report on things that way. But I guess Christianity, um, it always asks me to think like, well, where, where's Jesus in the story, right? Is Jesus the, is Jesus in the cop that's dragging somebody out of their house or is Jesus in the people who are being evicted? And, um, you know, Jesus is the people who's being evicted. That's, that's what Jesus tells us in the gospels that, uh, you know, whenever, whenever you're, you're finding these people who need shelter or need food or who are in prison, that's where Jesus is not uh, in the powerful. So I think it kind of gives me that particular perspective too, um, to, to sort of understand the, the ways that, uh, I don't know, people are, are being oppressed continually. Yeah, maybe one more piece just to add on here too is because we are Christians and also socialists, these things kind of meet in a critical horizon um, in a certain way. Uh, so one way of putting it is, you know, like we we like socialism, obviously. We we like socialist people and socialist movements and even some socialist countries, surprising as it may sometimes sound. But uh, in all of those places, there are still people who do fall through the cracks, including religious people, but other people too. And I think that one thing that Christianity sort of teaches you to do in a similar way to what Matt was just saying is always look for who's getting left out or, or pushed away unfairly or wrongly. Um, you know, sometimes that can lead you to being overly critical or pretending that everything is just the same and it's all just as bad as anywhere else, which I think is not exactly right. But um, nevertheless, it stops you too from like rushing too quickly to defend some kind of person or state or political organization that might legitimately have done some very bad things. And it's good to name them as bad, right? In the interest of this kind of uh, dream of justice or dream of whatever it is, socialism or the kingdom of God or something else, that dream is always gonna kind of call into question the ways that we try to materialize it here. And I think that's a really important thing to always keep remembering and something that religion can kind of foster as a way of being in the world. Wow, the, the, there was so much in all that that I almost feel like I could just edit the whole podcast down to just be the answer to that question. <laughs> um, there's a lot to chew on there. Uh, one of the things I couldn't help but think of, uh, I couldn't help but like, uh, 
my, my upbringing, going to seminary, going to, you know, pursue uh, uh, evangelical ministry at the time, you know, you're, you're taught all these methods of reading this, the Bible. They have all of these, you know, very much control measures in place to make sure that you don't veer too far from what they want you to interpret. They still want to like teach you uh, a little bit of, of skills and how to interpret. But I think that a lot of those same skills that allowed me to like look at the Bible slightly more critically are now things that I can turn to look at the news more critically to see uh, who's writing the story. Where is, you know, like you said, where are the poor? I think, wow, the, there's some really rich stuff. I hope that, uh, I hope that folks uh, check out this this podcast because this is some good stuff to be thinking about. Um, so um, as we mentioned there, uh, I'm going to somehow manage to connect this. <laughs> um, uh, who are some figures that you really look up to uh, in the world of like uh, religion and radical politics or just politics? Who are, who are people that inspire you to kind of keep going in all of this? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the person that I love the most and someone that we talk about a lot in the podcast is this guy named Ernesto Cardinal. He was a Catholic priest who just passed away, um, I think, one or two years ago, so quite recently, but he, he lived a very long life, so don't worry. Um, he, uh, he is Nicaraguan. He has a really storied kind of life. Um, he, people might be familiar with Thomas Merton, for example, in Kentucky, a famous Catholic contemplative. Uh, Cardinal lived with him in that monastery for a while. He was a poet and this really kind of beautiful, just artistic soul, you could say. But uh, he eventually went back to Nicaragua after traveling a bit as a priest and set up this arts community in a, an island chain called Solentaname, where he organized all these peasants and they read the Bible together in these really re revolutionary, radical kinds of ways. And eventually Nicaragua had a, a big revolution and they won that revolution and Cardinal was an integral part of kind of building Christian support for that revolution. So much so that afterwards he was named the minister of culture in the revolutionary government. And he like taught peasants how to write poetry and really encouraged people to, to make art in this new society that was trying to move toward justice. So uh, people like that, I think, are the people that inspire me the most. You know, there's lots of theologians, lots of writers, lots of books that you can read. But um, I think for me, it's always those people that like are kind of acting on, you know, they're, they're putting their faith into practice and they, uh, they end up being important because they provide a, a model for a way of living. And Cardinal's definitely one of those people and also someone who just left behind lots and lots of poetic ways of putting this all together that, you know, when you're feeling a little down or dry, uh, you just pick up one of those Cardinal books and all of a sudden you can believe in God and the revolution again. And <laughs> I really appreciate that kind of uh, person in the world. Yeah, Ernesto Cardinal is the best. Um, uh, I'm glad that you brought him up, Dean. I thought I, I knew you would for sure. So um, <laughs> that's good. Uh, I thought it'd be cool too to include somebody who I think is like way less storied than Ernesto Car Cardinal. So I thought I'd do a deep cut here. Um, maybe, man, I don't even know when it was, maybe in 2017 or something, Dean and I got into contact with this um, very wild and radical nun named Sister Kathleen Schultz. Um, so she is like not a theologian. Well, I mean, not in the, I guess, usual sense, but um, 
she is like she's she's an American nun. She lives in Michigan, I think, right now. She's been really involved in socialist politics like her entire life. Um, she is really notably uh, a part of like the organizing force behind this thing called Christians for Socialism, which was um, a pretty big activist network in the 1970s and uh, a little bit into the 80s, but then not so much. Uh, Kathleen Schultz is like she's she's really amazing because she's like lived this like completely wild. Uh, life devoted both to fighting for socialism, but also just like the religious life of a nun, I think is really cool. Um, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I think of her a lot when we're doing stuff with the Magnificast because like, I don't know, Dean and I are not Ernesto Cardinal. Like <laughs> we are not him and we will never be him and that's fine. But like Kathleen Schultz is cool because she is a nun who just kind of like did it, right? She like organized all this stuff in her life. She like was, you know, um, organizing all of these like magazines and these journals that people were kind of sending around. She was a big part in like all this like solidarity stuff. It's uh, she's a cool example because she's like a, a Christian person who I think has really similar politics to us, but also just like, uh, a good and demonstrable life that is well lived that is like attainable right she's just lived this incredible life that i think like is uh inspiring that we could all kind of aspire to um without having to be you know the participate the participators in like some kind of massive revolutionary force or something yeah it's, it's great that you bring kathleen up matt um i should clarify she sometimes i try to call her a nun and she corrects me and says that she's a sister so oh. um you can make of that we will um there is some weird catholic stuff involved in it but anyway I, I wrote a profile of her for sojourners that you can read once and um i tried to title it uh the radical socialist nun and she was like no i'm a sister so <laughs> we can there you, go. there you go but yeah i agree i mean she and she's still out there doing it like she did this radical christians for socialism thing but uh, after that eventually folded like so many other things, you know, she's been working on like stopping uh, water shutoff notices in Detroit and stopping evictions and all that kind of stuff. Like other people in her order, which is called the Sisters of Mercy, the IHM sisters, uh, they like get, you know, arrested doing people's poor people's campaign stuff in their like 70s and 80s. So they're just like the coolest church ladies you could possibly get to know. And uh, yeah, you're right, Matt, that's a, a much more kind of um, livable example <laughs> than someone like Ernesto Cardinal. You know, not all of us can be, you know, the minister of culture, but some of us can be, you know, the 70 year old sisters getting arrested. Um, uh, yeah, I think those are some two really beautiful examples and I will get that link from you and put it in the show notes uh, so that if people want to check out that profile that they can. Um, I think those are two uh, great figures uh, to look at and think about in terms of how we do this. And I think the, one of the key takeaways there is that critical thinking also requires like taking action. Like if we're, if we're gonna think critically about what we read, about the world around us, about how we can better pursue justice, then it means taking action. We can't just only read about it. And so, uh, so moving to you as individuals, we, we talked a little bit about where you came from. What are some other things that you're doing now? Uh, I, I know that while making a podcast does take a good bit of time, uh, as I'm learning from my own experience about 10 episodes in, um, you know, what, what, are, what other things do you have going on in your lives right now? Yeah, um, well, for a minute, I was an academic and I was just living, living the big academic life. But after a big twist of circumstances, everything is now very different. I've sort of changed my whole vocation. Uh, I'm working in the labor movement now, um, and that's been pretty interesting. 
uh, yeah, just really excited to to be doing this type of like sort of activist and advocacy work. It's been very fun. Um, a, a good perspective, I think. Way more fun than academia. <laughs> Join a union. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, I am tragically still uh, wrapped up in the world of academia as it stands, but I do some writing uh, as a journalist at a number of places um for mostly this jesuit publication called america magazine but also whoever will pay me a good amount of money to write for them i guess is is my my highest standard at this stage of my life um but yeah you know uh doing that writing work and here in toronto i'm involved in a number of different um organi organizing efforts and things like that especially around things like anti-imperialism and trying to say you know big rich countries shouldn't bully poor countries those kinds of events are things that give me a lot of uh energy and things i'm always trying to find people to talk to about so yeah the, those are sort of the places where I, I like to put my organizing efforts so if uh if people wanted to check out uh your work we'll we'll link uh the magnificast in our uh show notes but where where can people find you on the internet if they wanted to connect uh yeah for sure uh the magnificast account is, is pretty active on twitter so you can follow us at the magnificast um i'm on twitter as well at matt underscore bernico um you're welcome to follow me i also want to do a quick shameless plug uh for another podcast that i do for people's world called beyond the page it's just like a uh sort of a current events uh, podcast. It's sort of like um, if NPR was socialist, I guess is my pitch for it. So if you are interested in socialist politics and like maybe want that perspective on things, it's a cool podcast to go listen to. Yeah, it's a really good one. Um, and I'm not just saying that because Matt's my friend. Uh, there's a, a, lot of, a lot of great content on it. And uh, I really appreciate it too, because I'm, I'm like a sucker for that very produced newsy kind of podcast aesthetic. And uh, yeah, it's better when you're hearing um, some cool stories about unions or labor wins and stuff like that. So check that out for sure. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm on Twitter at Dean Detloff. I have a website, deandetloff.com, which is where all my writing is. You can find that article by, about Kathleen Schultz there, among lots of other stuff. Uh, yeah, maybe the, the easiest thing would be to go to the Magnificast's Twitter, and we're both linked there. And you can kind of follow the tendrils of the internet into wherever else we've ended up. <laughs> Okay, well, thank you both for coming on today. It was really wonderful to get to chat and uh, think critically together. <laughs> yeah, thanks, yeah for us thanks for having us. Yeah, it's great to uh, hear too about what you're doing. And I hope that the pandemic treats you in the congregation as well as it can in such strange times. Um, look forward to hearing more about what you guys are up to. It is, it is quite the interesting times, uh, but thank you also to all of our listeners. Uh, and uh, feel free to leave us, you know, the likes, subscribe to the podcast, all that good stuff. I'm going to try and not sound too much like a YouTuber. But <laughs> we really do appreciate you all listening. So thanks for tuning in.